we'll begin with prayer, and then I, uh, we'll see if this is who's going to be here. Maybe we can start with some questions from last week. I've got plenty of stuff, but let's start with prayer. Thank you, dear Lord, that we can gather in your name. Thank you that you've given us what we need through the scriptures, through sending your son to die for our sins, for giving us a way to have assurance of the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. And may we be wise as we walk through this life with all the deception and all the garbage out there so we remember what you said and what's important. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today we will be... Uh, I'll, actually, I have an option here. Do you want to discuss, if you were here last week, the deceitful heart? Do you hear me? Okay. So we could answer questions from last week, or I could show a video on the still small voice. And I have a PowerPoint on the deceitful heart. I got all kinds of goodies. But I think, who was it? I don't see Mike here. Mike, he had a question. Does anybody else have a question for last week? We got mics. Go ahead, turn it on. Yeah, you're on. We we got into uh, you know shamans and and uh, the people who had to go to you know being uh, uh, thinking that they're possessed when I believe actually they're just not saved they just need the Lord but I was thinking this during the, when when I left Bob is one thing we didn't talk about Hebrews four entering into the rest of the okay. Lord and if. And, and that's, that is a uh, entering into the rest of the Lord, if I recall. Isn't that a uh, already, not then? Uh, not yet. Yeah, already, not yet. So when you enter into the rest of the Lord through salvation, then these people that are being deceived as to having these... Uh, 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 Scenarios that where they, they think they're possessed and things like that. That that doesn't jive with what the Bible's telling us. What, what kind of rest is that? Okay, let me uh, address that. It's a good question. And someone else asked about sanctification and imperatives. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of things, and I'm still interacting with people who saw some of these videos on YouTube that are wherever they are who think, well, that can't be, because I always heard something else, that if we had an ancestor who did something, now we're cursed. And so we're trying to tell people we need to rest in what Christ did for us, not process the past, not seek secret information, not trying to find out who did what, why, what's going on in the human heart, what's going on in the realm of the spirits. And so last week we showed a video on shamanism from uh, YouTube, from our YouTube channel. And so I have here, maybe, let me just quick throw this up here. And I apologize to Christy, I didn't have this made until after I said anything in, and we'll maybe do it next week. But let me quick show you what's coming up. Uh, slideshow from beginning. I could do this this week, but here's what I did in response to questions from last week. Blessing and cursing. We can do this now if you want to wait and do still small voice another time. All right. The people have spoken. <laughs> and all apologies to whoever Especially, Christy, I didn't tell you. I didn't, you, I didn't even have this ready. Okay. We need a recount. Uh, we need a recount. Don't bring that up. All right. Okay, Jeremy, now I'm going to need people to help do some reading here, so be ready. Blessing and cursing. My claim that these are, or that these are relational. If you have a right relationship with God by faith, 
you're blessed. If you don't listen to God, and you don't believe the gospel, and you don't trust Christ, or in the Old Testament, the spokespersons for God, you're cursed. That's either or, that's like the rest. But the teachers out there are saying, you need secret knowledge. So get ready to look up some verses. Jeremiah 17, five and six from the ESV is on this slide. Thus saith the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and he shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places. Is that Western Minnesota they're talking about? <laughs> Eric's cabin. Yeah, right. Somebody's lawn here. Okay, we got a drought going on. Of the wilderness and an uninhabited salt land. What, what's true about a salt land? Not, nothing will grow. So um, that's how the Bible describes it. So someone could look up Galatians 3.10 and read it. The way I have this set up, I can't see anything but what you can see. While you're doing that, I'm going to get my Bible. Galatians 3.10. There it is. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in the th all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Okay, so everyone who is of law, and when I taught through Galatians, we use the term law works because there, were, there are people who are saying, well, we don't believe in the Old Testament law, but we have our own laws, traditions or whatever, and trying to say, well, you have to keep our laws uh, or you have to obey Moses. And we use this verse to prove if you try to keep the law of Moses, you're cursed. And that goes to what you were saying earlier, Brian, about entering rest. And that's very clear in Matthew, and I've been using that in some sermons. Jesus said, come unto you all, come unto me all you are weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest. So how'd that end up? Well, they, they started a dispute about Sabbath breaking, and then he claimed to be Lord of the Sabbath. Then they got really angry because they didn't want the rest that's offered through Jesus Christ who did it all for us. They wanted to work for rest. Does that make sense? So now why would uh, Galatians 3.10 say, cursed, let me look it up in mind, cursed is everyone who is of the law. Eric, you want to address that? Because you, well, you and I have talked about that a lot. Yeah, you know, the works of the law, it's interesting. I, when you were teaching Galatians, Bob, I think you did a good job in showing the phrase works of the law or law works because it can be anything. It could be the Mosaic law or it could be any form of man-made righteousness where we can't be saved because no one can completely obey the law. And that's one of the things Paul points out in Romans 7 is the issue isn't the law. The issue is our sin nature, which actually uses the law and it's like, if you think about the old saying, water and oil, they don't mix. Our sin nature and the law don't mix. The sin nature of man is incited by the law for further sin. The problem isn't the law. The problem is our sin nature. But the law can't remedy the problem of the sin nature. And so that's why cursed is everyone who is of the law. If you're of the law, you're not of grace. You're not of of salvation by faith. And so it's, it's binary. You're either of works or you're of faith of the one who worked for you. And it's, it's binary. It's either or. Yes. And so is it in Jeremiah? Yeah, amen. Yeah. And so what's beautiful, Bob, is you're showing this isn't something brand new. Right. And in Paul, uh, 
is bases his teaching on the new covenant that Christ did the work for us, so we trust in what he did. Anyone else want to talk about that? This is a, a follow-up from last week when we were talking about Christian shamanism. Because people don't believe that it is finished. They believe in do, not done. They believe in works, not grace. And so they say, well, yeah, I was saved, but now I have demons, and i got to find somebody who knows how to get them out of me. So they interact with the spirits. Or I'm saved, but I'm cursed. So I need to find out why, and i got to get somebody to break the curse. Somebody needs to get a word of knowledge about which one of my ancestors sinned. Okay, so we're trying to say, no, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your blessing is not based on what your great-grandfather did or didn't do. It's based on what Christ did for you. Go ahead. The, uh, besides being an exercise in futility, trying to follow all those laws, as the Jews did, they, they, we also talked about the, the scapegoat, where that wasn't sufficient, yet later on we were looking forward to uh, Christ taking care of our sin on the cross and then later on in Galatians then it talks about it's been replaced by having faith in Christ right Eric I think you were talking about the scapegoat would you want to address the two goats yeah in uh, Leviticus 16 you see the idea of two goats the first goat that they had to take was the scapegoat and they confessed the sins of Israel and it was led into the wilderness and there these the symbology there is that the sins of the people are being removed, and that's what we call in theology expiation. So expiation and atonement is man-centered, the removal of our sins. Now, there's another goat that was to be sacrificed, and that was in the Holy of Holies where his blood would be sprinkled upon the mercy seat. That's the term propitiation. That's where we get our term propitiation. Mm -hmm. That had to do with the appeasement of God. That's called Propitiation. So think of atonement. You got atonement, and you have two aspects of it. Expiation, the removal of man's sin. Propitiation, the appeasement of God's wrath. Wow. Payment has been paid. He's no longer angry. So what do you need in atonement? You need the removal of your sins, expiation. That's the first goat, the scapegoat. The second goat is the propitiation, the appeasement of God's wrath. And so today, Bob and I, for years, we've been fighting with people on the left who will say theologically that propitiation is a bygone concept, that you don't need that, that appeasing an angry God is something that is more akin to a religion that only the people in some bygone era would believe in, but it's what the Bible teaches, that God really is angry, and so that's what we need. Yeah. We need propitiation. Don't we call it a vicarious Yeah, exactly. Atonement. That's right. Yep. Christ died for sins once for all on our behalf. Amen. So there isn't any important biblical doctrine that's not being attacked. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I, I, by the way, Eric, because you mentioned N.T. Wright and this whole, um, what is, what's he call it? Yeah, um, the New Perspectives on Paul. New Perspectives on Paul. So I read his book. And it's so mushy. He doesn't want to believe in this substitutionary atonement, but if you're in the right group, then you're on the end. But he doesn't, so how do you get into group? It's not that clear. Okay, anybody else want to ask yeah, just, about this? Just yeah. really quick, on the same line here, you know, those who are under works, I mean, that's, that's, that's obviously bad on a scale of 1 to 10. I mean, that's, that's out there. But what I find most troubling is the subtleties in the evangelical church. They say, we're saved by faith. We're saved by faith. In fact, they, they even have this mantra, um, it's a free gift, you can't earn it. You hear that in all the churches, in the evangelical churches. They believe that. But yet, when you ask them, how did they get saved? Well, it was by my own free will, an act of my own free will, where I accepted Christ. And it's like, to try and describe to them the truth is so difficult because they're so inoculated. I call them half-baked Christians because they're not 
under the law, or so they think, but they really are because they believe that they are the ones that completed the equation of salvation, God plus man, synergistic. Yeah, I actually, that's another topic, but if you want to look it up, if you go to cacministry.org, and that little search box, I have to use it. I don't remember what I wrote. Next year will be 30 years we've been writing these. But the, the issue is monergism or synergism, okay? And you can look that up. Good point. Let's go to the next one. So if you trust man, you're cursed. Does that make sense? Now, a little background for Jeremiah. What was going on with Jeremiah? Well, they call him the weeping prophet, but he was prophesying truthfully by the Holy Spirit that judgment was coming to Israel. And they hated him for it. And, boy, it's been many decades that I remember preaching on this. I think they dug a hole and threw him in it. And then, because they didn't want to hear him, and so things were still going bad, so they'd say, hey, Jeremiah, you got any word from the Lord? He'd say, yes, God's going to judge Israel. All right, stay in there. And maybe somebody can remember that better than I do. But he spoke the truth, and it was vindicated by God's action. And there was a captivity, and he spoke the truth. The best way to be hated is to speak the truth. Some things never change. Let's go to the next one then. How is it that anyone is ever blessed? How could it be that a fallen sinner, dead in Adam, heading for hell, can't do anything that pleases God, that's done um, by trusting man, how can he be blessed? Here it is, right there in the same context. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who, now by the way, when Eric and I were in seminary, if we quoted it from this translation, I think we'd be in trouble. It means human, but I don't care. I'm just going to read the Bible I want to. And so it includes all human beings. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. There's Yahweh, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its, sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. It is not anxious in the day of year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So there's an analogy. If you trust in Yahweh and his promises, then the drought comes. It doesn't change the fruit because you have a constant source of nourishment, which is the very word of God, actually, the promises of God. Anybody? Now, um, so who hasn't? Uh, bring the mic. Mike, who has a Bible that can read? The, go ahead. Bring the mic over here to, to Norm. Uh, Galatians 3, 8 and 9, I think. But if, if you have another comment, go ahead yeah. and make it. Yeah, I, I had that one first. Um, <clears throat> when I see this in uh, Jeremiah 17, 5, how cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, I mean, it just jumps out at me that this is exactly what we're seeing today. <laughs> Our society is just trying desperately to do everything by mankind and not God. And then 17, it says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. They don't want to do that at all. So how could, how could we expect to be blessed the way we're trying to live life as a, a world, as a nation, whatever? But then in verse 9, where it says the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick, who can understand it? Right. I mean, there's, there's, I guess that's the, the root, the of, Lord, root yeah. of the problem right there. Yeah, I'm going to get to that. Okay. Okay. No. Uh, does somebody look up? You're right. But here's the thing. I don't know. We were talking earlier. 
I, when I was researching this, when I was in seminary, it's interesting that I think the source of all the, uh, the most popular ideas in our culture came from Hegel. And Hegel was a German philosopher who believed that in, in reality, when Adam sinned, we fell up. So the fall in the garden was actually not a fall. It was the first step in the right direction. And that everything is evolving toward paradise without future judgment. Okay? And I still have the book that, uh, where someone was talking about Hegel's version of sin. Now, that's what a lot of people believe. I wrote a book about that on the emergent church. And they believe it. They literally believe, and a couple uh, of us went to their conference, that everything is evolving toward paradise without judgment. <coughs> but you have, without to be judgment. Pretty, you have to be pretty deceived to believe that. Well, <coughs> the reason people are deceived is they don't believe the Bible is the word of God. Right, right. They can't justify it biblically. And so, one of the things that's the key issue, and that's the other issue, the seeker movement, the emergent movement. The seeker movement thinks, well, we'll just make Christianity appealing and everybody will like us, which is sort of what Rich Rich was talking about. You know, man does his part, get him in, and maybe it'll sink in. The purpose driven. And then the other movement is emergent, where everything's evolving toward paradise. But both of them believe that the way to have a better future is to have something that's going to work now. And so the thing that neither of those groups will preach is that we're heading toward judgment. Right. And that history is linear. God created, there was a fall, and now we're heading toward judgment. Now there's details but they think we're spiraling upward or we're seekers are coming in and we're going to Christianize the world. But the truth is we, need, we are here to preach the gospel so that those that God saves get out of the fallen world. They, re- they do receive the gift of eternal life because of God's work of grace, not because they did their part. And if we don't preach coming judgment, then we're not really preaching the gospel. Yeah. Does that make sense? We talked a little bit about this this morning, uh, Bob, and uh, Norm's question on you, it'd be pretty silly to look at what's going on and think that things are getting better, but uh, information tech and technology uh, has a lot to do with what they're looking at. Yes. I, uh, uh, this morning while I was setting up, Brian asked me about this idea of human progress. The moral condition of the human race has been the same, dead. Um, uh, Somebody look up 1 Corinthians 15, 22. And I think I have that later, but we probably won't get to it. So when you're dead, Progress really doesn't help you much. Right? Well, the Bible says the whole human race died in Adam. You were dead. In Adam, all died. So what exactly is progress? Well, the only progress that we have is more technological, and I call it storing and retrieving information. The Dark Ages was a period where that kind of went away. We had illiteracy. Anybody had any uh, indication they might be able to do something or read, they'd stick them in a monastery, and so everything went dark. The gospel wasn't going around like it's supposed to. But we're still dead. So now we can get all this information. We can retrieve it. It's right at our fingertips. But if you don't love the truth, the information you get 
is more ways to believe the lie. And we can have better cars or better homes or better comfort or we didn't have air conditioning in our farmhouse. And I, I don't remember thinking it was hot. But now you know, we have these things. But does that change the fact we're heading toward judgment? No. We're more comfortable. I think I mentioned in my sermon, Harry Emerson Fosdick. We don't know anything about heaven and hell. That just, people can't relate to that. But we can make life more comfortable. So his famous statement, if I got the right guy, it's in the early 20th century, we'll put springs on your buggy. So instead of going down the road, boom, 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 you're going, oh, this isn't bad. But you're going to the same place. Okay. Um, I've been uh, uh, looking at that slide up there and those who trust in God. I've been pondering the word trust. And um, I, you know, the other, the Jeremiah says to trust in the Lord and curse the man who trusts in man. Um, right. Um, the maybe, so if I, if, if I'm focusing on my ability to trust, you know, may, maybe so much of the focusing of, of the word trust is my ability to trust. You know, the, I just lost my job, the house burned down, the trucks broke down, and I say, oh, somebody says, oh, just trust in the Lord. Like, you know, then I'm focusing on my ability to trust. And I, you know, maybe on the flip side of that coin, I've been thinking maybe it's more of God's ability to fulfill his promises. When I when things go wrong and things are horrible, I mean I I think about okay, I know I know that God's promises are going to be be fulfilled. His, That's a good his point. promises. And so my ability to trust, I can fail. I I I sometimes I'm thinking I you know, it's In fact, I you know got a horrible day and it's like, you know, I I can't even trust right now. I'm just like Maybe it, yeah. maybe when I'm at that point, I'm like, okay, God, I know you can fulfill what it is you said yeah. you're going to do. Very good point. And that's the point of Hebrews 11. Yahweh appeared to Ab Abram and gave him a promise, and he believed the promise. Go ahead, Eric. Um, you know, to that point that you made, Steve, I think it's an excellent one. Notice the simile, he is like a tree planted. It's a simile. Yeah. And what's the point of the simile? The simile is the blessing is not dependent upon circumstance. That's the whole point of the simile because when the drought comes, he's still bearing fruit. Now, why is that important? Because what Steve just brought up is circumstances in your life where it seems as if you're cursed. The dog died the truck's got a flat tire, you lost your job, and you think, well, I'm cursed. But the man who's blessed is blessed because the blessing is independent of the circumstance. It's a relational issue. That's exactly what Bob, Bob said. Exactly. Bob said years ago to us, I think it was during your teaching of Galatians, that being blessed is asymptomatic. In other words, you may have the wealthiest person on the planet that has all the servants, they live in luxury every day of their life. They feel blessed, but because they don't have faith in Christ, they're cursed. Or you may have a Christian or maybe a believing Jew who's on the run from the Nazis hiding in an outhouse, and they have boils over their... You know, you just think of the horrible circumstances they might be in, but because they have the forgiveness of sins, they're blessed. Amen. And that's the point of that simile. It doesn't right. matter. Now, you know, here's why this is important, too. That simile refutes. What, see, what the Word of Faith teachers will do is they will take that passage, and it says, hey, you're going to be like a tree that's planted, and the roots of stream does not, you know, there's no fear, and the heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Well, they'll say, how is your business doing? Well, it's not doing well. Well, you're not bearing fruit. You must not be blessed. Right. So we have to realize that's not the point of that simile. The yeah. point of that simile is that your blessing is not dependent upon circumstance. Yeah, and yeah. let me quickly put that into context of Jeremiah. That's exactly what's going on with Jeremiah. Yeah. Because he was prophesying that there'd be judgment, that there'd be a captivity, but that God, had, God would ultimately bring them out, but they wouldn't listen to him. And you can look up Jeremiah in a Bible diction, dictionary and do a bio. It's been so many decades since I preached 
through Jeremiah, I, you know, I'm focused on what we're talking about here. But if you look at the life of Jeremiah, it's a sure example of that. He was hated. He was rejected. But so was Messiah when he came. Rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, Isaiah 53. So you're right. The reason this all started is from emails that we get from people who see our videos on YouTube and listen to the podcast. And over and over for decades, I get the same email. I think I need somebody to help me get delivered. How do you know that? And um, they say, well, because they, whatever the symptoms, it's always symptoms. I've got symptoms. And I've seen these, now they have videos on YouTube about everything. And I try to help people because that's the best evangelistic uh, opportunity I have is helping people who believe they're Christians or maybe they are and they've been misled or maybe they're not. And I tell them, no, you need to know Christ and be blessed. You can't just go by symptoms. And if you ask people, listen, does anybody ever uh, know or seen someone who's rarely got sick, always succeeded, lived to be very old, was very happy, and had no time for Christ? There's always some, okay? I've actually got an email from a guy who used to be a pastor who renounced Christ, took up atheism, and refused to listen to anything Christian, and said, don't bother me with this. Since I renounced Christ, I have many, a wonderful family, a successful business, lots of money, wonderful children, grandchildren. My life is great. I don't want to hear about it. That guy was a pastor in the Twin Cities. And uh, somebody was trying to tell him he was an apostate, which he is. But he said, I know, just tell, I think the guy, somebody we knew back when we were on 24th and Nicola was sending him my article on apostasy. And the guy was actually kind of nice. He said, well, I know your member is uh, well-meaning and a nice guy. I don't want to hear about it. I'm happier being an atheist. Yes. Okay, so would it then be wrong to consider anything circumstantial to be a blessing? Well, the blessing is relational, and it's right to give God thanks for all his blessings. Okay. Now, the, I think the first video we did was on the Lord's Prayer, and we, we went through it. Some of you weren't here. I showed on YouTube that we did on the Lord's Prayer. But if you look at the Lord's Prayer, and we were in Matthew, what's it about? Give us this day our daily bread. That's it. Uh, forgive, we forgive our sins as we forgive others. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's a prayer for a return of Christ, basic provisions, and forgiveness of sins, and asking God to bring honor and glory to his own name by fulfilling his promises and coming again. And that was in Matthew. you remember that? So it's pretty basic. So it's not wrong. If, if, when we give thanks at a meal, we're, we're acknowledging that the only reason we can eat at all is that God is merciful. But what's wrong is to say, ah, somebody has a mansion on Lake Minnetonka they're blessed. Well, maybe if they don't know Christ, it's not going to do them any good. But maybe they do know Christ and they give him the glory. It's not what it looks like to others. It's who we know relationally, which is Christ. Yes. Uh, so as long as we are giving glory to God for the provisions regardless of what that what, would yeah, be in our own matter. life. And it doesn't necessarily have to be something positive. Sometimes suffering, you know, that's a blessing because the fruit of it and what God does with right. it 
um, wouldn't happen without that. So I just I just want clarification because I do know I use the term blessing a lot, and I probably need to assess sometimes well, myself, you know, whether that's um, the meaning of it. Yeah, so. I don't think it's bad for Christians to thank God for all blessings, whatever it may be, if we put it in a bigger context. Remember as we've been going through Acts that when they were first persecuted, they thanked God that they were considered worthy to suffer for his name. Yeah. And so that was a blessing that was based on the fact that God was using them. But let me give a warning here. This is a good time to do it. Everything, and I know Dana's teaching on church history. He's probably got into this, the early church fathers. They take things, anything that the Bible says is a blessing, whether it be edges, whatever, somebody will figure out how to make it worse. We're man-centered by nature, unless we're converted. So, blessed are the poor. Oh, I want to be blessed, so I'm going to take an oath of poverty. Okay? Blessed are the persecuted. They won't suffer. Oh, I'm going to get somebody to pound me with a whip while I'm in this stone dungeon to prove that I'm pious. And that's not faith in God. God's in charge of his own creation. God is the one who gives us different lots in life. And the issue is whether we give him the glory and trust him. And furthermore, I've been jotting down things as I sit and I get an idea, I jot it down because I'll forget what I was thinking about the next day. And I get ideas like this. Um, we've just got to push that out of our minds. Okay, I should go live in a monastery, take oaths, oath of chastity, oath of poverty, and now I'm blessed. But that sort of thinking is what kept the gospel from going out during the dark ages. And it's all works, 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 works. It doesn't matter. Here's another one. First Corinthians, we'll get to it. Do not go on passing judgment before the time. Because that's God's business. So that helps me. I, a lot of this, I'm just trying to make sure I'm thinking straight. Do I know who's better than me or worse than me or more important than me and more valuable? Than, I don't know that in the body of Christ. That'll come up in First Corinthians. Who's the better Christian? Who's the more pious one? Who's the one that God's happy with? We're passing judgment before the time. And we don't know. It's not our business to decide what's more important. It's our business to believe God's promises, trust him, and give him the glory for anything he does. And that's so helpful. We'll get to that in First Corinthians, should the Lord tarry. Yes, Peter's next. So this might be a little twist to Christie's comments, but um, common grace is extended to all, both a believer and non-believer. Right. So in relation to blessings are relational, or blessing is relational. Can you expound on that? Yes. We just uh, recorded some radio yesterday um, for Critical Issues Commentary. We talked about that. Here's, here's one. It's not just who had a nice life. There are people who are generally wonderful people who live better lives. If we look at ourselves sometimes, man, some of these people that aren't Christians, I'd rather have them for a neighbor than me sometimes. <laughs> and I've seen that with golfers that we've known. There was a famous golfer, and I don't want to say I know who's who, but he, he, every letter he ever got, he wrote back with good penmanship. I can't do that. Um, just honorable. Maybe he was a Christian, but I never heard a word about Christ. Uh, we don't know these things. And so it's possible for a human with a culture that supports that to be a good, kind, decent person good neighbor, somebody you want for a friend, somebody you want for a relative, 
but they've never once given any credit to God or to Christ. So that's common grace, good category. And we talked about that in this recording we did yesterday. The whole point is this, okay? Do you trust God and his promises or are you just trying to be a nice person better than the guy next door? Over there, over there. Okay, there we go. How do you reconcile the verse, it rains on the just and the unjust in regards to blessings? Good, thank you. That's common grace. That's partly where that doctrine comes from. Good comment. The fact that it rains on the just and the unjust is common grace. And that we have green grass sometimes, food to eat, uh, sometimes it rains, we breathe God's air. If I start thinking too much about myself, which is really a horrible topic to think about, I think, you know what? God's a merciful God. Not only are my sins forgiven, I get to breathe his air, catch fish in the lake, and live life. And th that's true for anybody. But ultimately, does it matter whether we escape future judgment? So you're right. Reason the just and the unjust. Common grace. Common grace is a theological term. If somebody could find a one where Jesus said, do you think that those Galileans whose blood is mixed with the sacrifices are worse sinners than everybody else? Somebody wants to find that. Go ahead. Who's, who else here? Somebody have the mic? Uh, back to the Lord's Prayer, uh, give us today our daily bread. The historical context of that, these people, they would spend hours or their whole day just to try to get food for sustenance. And today, we're so blessed with uh, plumbing, uh, water. You were telling me the story about the, the farm when they got water. But if you go through a drought like this and you don't have a way to right. irrigate your crops, you're dead. Right. Okay, if you're not out there. So the historical context of that is you give thanks to God for your daily bread. because, right. and, and we look at that a little different uh, being with uh, all the things that we have available to us. Yes. Steve. Okay, um, also God does, he, he's so amazing. He gives us instruction. Even in like the book uh, of Ecclesiastes is the first uh, investment plan to diversification to uh, divide your portion into seven or eight different places and he says make it grow little by little I mean as we do these things um, you know we're we're ready for we can be more ready for things that come up in this life yeah the, and Eric's been talking about wisdom from Proverbs so having a relationship with Christ we still want to live according to wisdom and about the bread, my favorite chapter is John 6 on that. And we're thinking, you know, here in America, you can go to Dollar Tree and for a dollar for this, dollar for this, dollar for that, you can get quite a bit to eat. And that wasn't so easy. So when Jesus multiplied the bread in John 6, and if you read that whole story, what did they want to do? Take him by force and make him king. Why? Why do you want him to be king? Because he multiplied the bread. Free bread. Great. No more planting, no more sweat, no more pulling out the thistles. Perfect. So Jesus changed the topic. And what did they end up doing? They all left. They all left. Everybody but the disciples. Yes, Mark. I found that passage you were looking for. Good. Uh, so it's Luke 13, uh, starting at verse 1. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. 
but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Oh, and then he goes on, or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Very good. Thanks. That Keep that in mind because that's the big story. Whether good or bad is happening, we're all facing judgment. Eric, oh, by the way, there's such a desire for bad things to happen to the bad people. We just, we, and so whenever, so, even in America, when was it in New Orleans when there was a Katrina? Was that it? There were people claiming that God was judging New Orleans because there were sinners than somebody somewhere else. <laughs> well, maybe they are. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but there may be a Christian church there. The point is, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. And so sin is u- ubiquitous. Uh, yes, and then. Okay, so back to common grace. Um, being a blessing uh, to the non-believer in the sense that there's still time and hope that he may submit. Right. That's true. Go ahead, Eric. You know, I kind of want to go back to Christie's yeah. question about blessing. Sometimes we use language in a form of equivocation. And what I mean by that is uh, when we're talking about blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, we're talking about status. But sometimes we use blessing in the sense of having a gift or something that happens right. to us that's good. Let me give you another example. This often happens with sanctification. What sanctification is 99.9% of the time in the Bible is God setting us apart, that is his elect, to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. You've been set apart, and he did it. But we often use it almost 99% of the time for acting in a way that is in keeping with being a Christian. So in a sense, we're equivocating on sanctification we're doing the same thing with blessing when blessing is ultimately about status. My sins are forgiven. It's asymptomatic. I could, be, I could die when I was 18 on the beach of Normandy, but because I was a believer in Christ, I was blessed. Or you can have George Soros who lives to be 100, and because he rejects Christ, he's cursed. And so that's what we have to be careful. Sometimes I agree, Chris, I do the same thing. I have a full tank of gas this morning. What a blessing. But what I really mean is that seems to be a good thing to me. And yes, we can give God all the glory, as Bob was saying. That's the yeah. point. But we don't, we've got to keep in our mind that, hey, I might yeah. be equivocating a little bit on the ultimate sense of what blessing and cursing is. So. Uh, Eric, thank you. And also remember there's a range of meaning. Yes. And so we don't want to say, well, you have to say it a certain way or you're... That's a good point. That's right? what it really is. There yeah. is a range of meaning. And it's the same with, as you've been teaching Proverbs, uh, Eric, in, or in James, there's wisdom literature. There are more generalization. But ultimately, if you use it in its ultimate sense, like Jeremiah, because go back and read about the life of Jeremiah. I haven't done so for so long. I hate to tell you too much because I may get something wrong in my memory. But Jeremiah had no reason to think anything good was going on in his life. But he wouldn't relent because he was the prophet of God. And he kept telling them the truth. They didn't want to hear it. Now, why were they having these problems? For one thing, Israel is unique. In the Old Testament, they had a covenant with God. And there's purposes for that. We've taught a lot about that. And they needed to be the people that would be the lineage that leads to Messiah who actually came in fulfillment of prophecy. The captivity is part of what happened. It's also prophesied. And Jeremiah was the person who was prophesying. So if you looked at him, and Israel was thinking, no, we don't like that word. We're going to make an alliance with the Assyrians or whoever can help us. That wasn't right. They needed to trust Yahweh. So our lot in life is part of God's providence. And in God's providence, 
all things work to good for, together for the good. Those who love God are called according to his purpose. But the good is defined as being conformed to the image of Christ. In, in fact, I often just email this to readers who ask questions. Please get Romans 8, 27 through the end of the chapter, read all of it and think about it and tell me how that applies and what you learn from it. And what it says is if we know God, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Principalities, powers, things present, things future, nothing. And if we know God, and we know we'll be conformed to his image, we'd be better off if we could shoot under par in a round of golf. I don't know. I've never experienced that, but <laughs> go ahead. Well, I was just thinking how we are told to give thanks in all things. And so could we extrapolate and say that that means that even when things come into our life that are difficult, nothing happens to us without God's permissive will. So therefore, in giving thanks, even for the difficult things, through the process of sanctification, we're growing. And then when you mentioned about the Jews being taken into captivity, that was a blessing because they went to the Babylonian Empire, the capital of, of idolization, idols, and yeah. they were more or less cured from that when they returned. <laughs> Good point. We, we haven't met you, but thank you. Thanks for coming. You know the Bible. Uh, well, you know what else happened while they were there? Daniel just read Daniel. It's amazing. He received uh, prophecy about the future empires of the world while they were in Babylon. Amazing. Good point. But see, the only way we can do that, now imagine, think about America, and we do thank God for the country we live in. Today's Independence Day. And we know that it's God's revealed will that nations would have boundaries, that they'd have human leaders, and we should thank God for that. And it won't change until the tribulation. In the meantime, we're more blessed having boundaries and human leaders than anybody would be if you're in a tribulation because then they're directly under the hostile powers. We did a whole series on that. Can you just, it's amazing. I never thought I'd be the old person that doesn't know technology. But Eric and I did a series on how God rules the world. Remember that? Well, my daughter, Diane and I, our daughter, took that and turned it into YouTube videos using PowerPoint. And I couldn't even find it on our own website. So finally she told me how to do it. You go to Critical Issues Commentary, find the YouTube channel, find Playlist, and find the series on how God rules the world. How that all happened, I don't know. I had nothing to do with it. But it's really good. And we go all the way from Deuteronomy 30, 32, 8 and 9, Job 1, 1 Kings 22, and go all the way through into Revelation and cover this. Let me give you the short version. It's God's blessing that we're even under pathetic, unwise human leaders. The alternative is to be directly under the demons. I'll take bad human leaders, but I'd rather have good ones. Does, does that make sense? They may want to comment on that. So providence includes all things. We wrote an article about that. Good and evil. Uh, somebody look up Genesis 50 and verse 20. And that'll really illustrate this. If this worldview is revolutionary. It's really biblical. But it's not how, at least how most Americans think. Uh, Genesis... 50 verse 20. Joseph. Do you know the story of Joseph? Do you know anybody that was treated much worse than he was? His brothers hated him. His dad loved him. 
They threw him in a pit. He was pulled out by the Midianites. He was hauled off into slavery. Potiphar's wife lied about him, tried to get him to sin, and he ran away and she grabbed a coat. He ends up in jail. He tells the people in jail with him, hey, this is what's going to happen, but remember me when you get out. Well, one of them was hung, one got out. Forgot Joseph. Well, you know, it's a great story. When he ends up in uh, Egypt and God used him to care for God's promises. Then we get to the end. Now imagine his brothers. They find out this guy in Egypt is our brother that we betrayed. And he hit his, he went and wept, if I got this right. He could have killed all of them. He could have been vengeful. Said, I know what you did to me. Now I have the power. You all die. But he didn't. Here's what he said instead. Genesis 50, 20. Who has it? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Right. Their action was meant for evil and out of bad motives. God meant it for good. Now, how was this going to save many people alive? I'll let you answer, Eric. Yeah, Egypt really functions as an incubator. There's going to be a great famine. And here God uses all that happens to Joseph to spare the Israelites from certain destruction because of the famine. Right, and wasn't there a prediction that yeah. they'd be in, in Egypt? Absolutely, back all the way back in Genesis 15. Right. And uh, 400 years. In the saving many people alive is more than he could have known because it was the path to Messiah in keeping the promise to Abraham. So on the scene of history, bad, 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 horrible, worse, nasty, liars, horrible people trying to get us. And then Joseph... By God's grace, said, don't be angry with yourself. God meant this for good, to save many people alive. And it turns out the saving many people alive is through Messiah. Dana, then Levant, we got like one minute here. We actually had zero minutes, but uh, it's, hey, we're going to go into overtime. Extra innings. I, I just wanted to say, going back to Jeremiah, you know, Jeremiah says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. But according to tradition, Jeremiah got sawn in, in half, you know. He got sawn. Yeah, he prophesied. Yeah, but I mean, um, in Hebrews 11, where it says they were stoned, they were sawn asunder. Well, I mean, some people think that that was Jeremiah. He got sawn in half. So, you know, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, but he got sawn in half. So God's providence includes good and bad. Yeah. At one point, I wrote an article for Critical Issues exploring the issue of the in that context is all things literal. If all things work together for the good of those who love God or those who are called according to his purpose, the good being defined as conformed to the image of Christ, does that mean some things or does it literally mean all things? It means all, obviously, because you read the rest of the chapter. And uh, to what you said earlier, Rich. Some people said, well, it, but it doesn't mean our will. I said, okay, let's read it again. Things present, bring future, things, things created. Does the fact that humans have a will that can make choices, is that a created thing or did it exist for all eternity uh, uncreated like God was well, created? Any, every aspect of the human is created. And so I, I've made an argument. It makes people mad. It comforts some people. If it doesn't comfort you, then what's the issue? If God is going to keep me and God loves me and all things are working together for the good of those who love God, call according to his purpose, that comforts me. Now, if I were able to take the reins back God forbid, say, I'm the master of my own destiny, would that be comforting? No. I'd rather trust in Yahweh. 
how about you? We, we've come to the end of our time. I'll get a real PowerPoint sent to Christy for next week so that we can have copies of this. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy. Thank you for the United States of America, the, the country we live in, where we've had the opportunity for the gospel to be preached. And we thank you for rulers and leaders and all those who are in authority because we're commanded to do so. And we know you've appointed them, whoever they are, whatever they are. And we do pray that your kingdom would come in the sense of the return of your son, Jesus Christ, and the rapture of the church, and that we may know you and be with you forever. And we pray this in his holy name, Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and thank you for spending for July in church with us. Thank you.